0: Well, good morning, and welcome to everybody that's gathered live in the House of God today, and all those that are gathering live online right now. And I know we have a number of people that are watching from here in Indiana, and then in other places, and even other countries. And so we just want to welcome you. Glad that you're a part of what's happening here today. If you would, if you grab your Bible and let's open up to the book of First. John, first John. When we started last week looking in the book of first John, we talked about looking at what is real, that we would have this reality check. John invited us to take a look at the fact that God is real, that God is there, that he has been experienced, that you can experience his life as well, and that fact then brings us joy. Now, today, as we look into God's word, we are once again going to come face-to-face with what is real. He's going to have us look at the reality of who God is and the reality of sin as well. Now, as we get started, I just want to mention this. I I realize that if, if you don't believe that God is for you, you're going to have a hard time understanding and accepting what we're going to talk about today when it comes to sin. And I also know that if you don't think that I love you, you won't embrace what I'm saying either. And so as we talk about sin, I know it can be kind of tense. And one of the things that Christians often hear, especially pastors, that you'll hear people say, you're judging me or, or you think you're better than me. And so I want you to know right off the top, I'm not here to judge anybody. And as a matter of fact, I don't think I'm better than you. In fact, in this room and those that are watching, I'll go ahead and put me, myself on the bottom when it comes to sin and a sinner. I, I don't think I'm any better than you at all. So as as those things kind of get whispered in your ear, like, who's he to judge me? I'm nobody to judge you. He thinks he's better than me. As a matter of fact, I don't. I, I, I need a savior. I am a sinner who needs a savior. So, so just kind of put that out of your mind and just embrace a loving heavenly father. Think about this. Like if, if you loved you as much as God loves you, wouldn't you warn the one you love not to sabotage their life because there's consequences? So that, that's, that's something I want you to hold on to as we look through this passage. And the first thing that I think that we're going to need to take a look at is that we need to watch our walk. Watch your walk, John is going to tell us. Watch where you are walking in life. Because John is confronting, once again, uh, a group of false teachers. They were known as Gnostics. Gnostics comes from the Greek word gnosis, and gnosis means knowledge. They had secret knowledge, and their secret knowledge was this, everybody's good spiritually. Everybody's fine. Spirit is good. Everything that is material is bad. Therefore, they would say, you can live your life any way that you want to because you're good. You don't need to worry about being holy and doing righteous things because your body is bad. The material is bad. You don't have to worry about that. You can live any way you want to And John says, no, you can't do that. You can't claim to be a Christian and continue to live in sin and immorality. You've got to watch where you walk. That's where we pick up. 1 John 1, beginning in verse 5. Anybody excited to look at God's word? There we go. All right. Some of us. Here we are. This this, now all of us, I know it. This is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, from God. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He then says, if we say we have fellowship, and last week we learned that that word fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia. If we have koinonia, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. So if we say that we're walking with God, but we're actually walking in darkness, We lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia, with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. Cleansing of sin. He says, watch your walk. It's not just a matter of what you're saying with your lips. It's not just a matter of what you believe in your mind. It's how you believe. It's how you walk. You've got two options. You have two options where you're going to walk in this life. You can walk in the dark, he says, or you can walk in the light. If you walk in the dark, you're walking in the kingdom of this world. If you walk in the light, you're walking in the kingdom of God. And the way that you get into the kingdom of God is by walking out of all the other kingdoms of this world. Everything that sets itself up against God, everything that calls out to you and says, here's this God, here's a way to walk, walking out of all those things and beginning to walk in the truth and the light of who God is. That's how you get there. The way that you get into the kingdom of God is you have to be reformed into the kingdom. And you have to be deformed from every other kingdom that calls out to you, that would woo you in its direction. That's where we can walk. So if we are going to have fellowship with God, we need to walk in the truth, walk in the light so that our words match our walk, so that our lives match our lips. Because if we don't do that, if we say, I've got fellowship with God, I'm connected with him, yet I am sinning in my life, I'm walking in darkness, that makes me a liar and a hypocrite. And nobody wants to be a hypocrite. Nobody likes hypocrites. I never heard anybody, you know, I want to grow up and be a hypocrite. Nobody. Like, I don't want to hang out with hypocrites. Nobody. So our walk and our words and our faith must match. So we can't walk in the dark. And have fellowship with God. You can't live with both feet in each kingdom. It doesn't work that way. Every kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a train track moving one direction. Every other kingdom is another track moving in the opposite direction. You can't straddle. You can't put one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of this world. It's not going to work. It's either in or out. When I say that, I have my mom's words echoing in my head when I was a kid in the summertime. In the summertime, I was running in and out. Any other moms in here? Your kids were running in, slamming the door and all the air conditioning going out. In or out. Make up your mind. And that's what John would say. In or out. Walk in the kingdom of light or walk in the kingdom of dark. And as a pastor, let me just encourage you choose, and then you live in that kingdom to its fullest. If you're in the kingdom of light, give him your all. If you're in the kingdom of dark, live it up because this is as close to heaven as you're going to get. So verse eight, John tells us, get real with where you're walking. Get real. We need to see very clearly. Where am I walking? Am I walking with God? Do I just want to think that I'm walking with God or am I really walking with God? And a whole bunch of people will be dismissive about the fact that they're actually walking in a kingdom of darkness and living life of lies. And it's our tendency to convince ourselves we're good. It is an age of Gnosticism again. We are good. I want to be good. I think I'm good. Are we really or are we just trying to convince ourselves that what we're doing while we're walking away from God is good. So this is what John says, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth, it's not in us. Now, we don't, we don't like to think about sin. We don't like to talk about sin. It's not a real popular subject nowadays. Sin isn't talked about. Nobody wants to be called a sinner. We'd rather look for ways of justifying what we do than admit the truth. We want to be approved by others, and we will find a way to make sure that how we're constructing our lives and the way that we see fit to live our lives is just fine. Now, the reason I think that we do this is because everybody wants to be loved and accepted, That's like a core thing that God has placed in each and every one of us. Each of us want to be loved and accepted. Now, if I can play just kind of armchair psychologist for a little bit here, there there are people who find their identity in their behavior. And they find their identity in what they feel. And if somebody comes along and says this behavior or that feeling is not true, they say, you're attacking me. Because their identity is wrapped up in a behavior or in a feeling that they have in the moment. Now, we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to live in a culture that says, well, there is no absolute right. There is no absolute wrong. Everybody gets to do whatever it is they want to do. But there is sin that must be avoided. And everybody has Sin. We come into this world as sinners. We have original sin in us, and then we have sins that we commit. The word for sin in the Greek here it is hamartia. Hamartia are are uh, a condition of sin, and it's also acts of sin that we have in, in our lives. And God has told us that everybody has sinned. Everyone has sinned. Everybody falls short of God's glory. It's like you've got this bow, this arrow, and a target, and you're kind of aiming for perfection, because perfection would be holiness and what's right. But we shoot that arrow and all of us miss. We, we, we miss, we, we, we drop the ball, the arrow doesn't make it to the target or it hits somewhere else. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of us in this room, we're all in the same place. I'm not here to judge you, you're not here to judge me. We need to be truthful and understand each and every one of us have sinned but we live in an age that claims there is no sin there's no right and wrong there, there's really big sins and and really each year that list of really big sins gets smaller and smaller we don't like to deal with sin in our culture So we have these things that happen in our culture. We have major issues that happen and people being murdered and mass murder. I mean, it's just, it's a mess. And then you'll watch all the people and all the commentators on TV. When is the last time you heard a news commentator talk and use the word sin, right? We'll talk about why is all this going on? How is this happening? What would cause somebody to take a gun and do that kind of thing? And they never get to the place that talks about the monster that is lurking in every human heart, and that is sin. The problem in this world is sin. We continue to walk away from God, walk in the kingdom of darkness, rather than walk in the light and what is true. Why? Why Why do we keep doing this? Why do we try to, you know, make up this idea that there is no sin? Why do we push so hard on the idea of it? Well, the reason that I think we have such a hard time with sin is because we're so committed to doing it. It's fun, right? I mean, sin is fun for a season. So we like to sin. And then we like to cover up our sin. There was a husband who came home drunk one night. And he snuck his way upstairs, Uh, He looked in the bathroom mirror, and he started bandaging up his uh, bruises and the bumps that he got from the barroom fight that night. After he bandaged himself up, he then kind of tiptoes over to the bed, and he kind of slinks into his bed next to his wife, smiling the whole time, thinking he has pulled one over on her. Then in the morning, he wakes up, and his wife is standing over the top of him, and she says, you were drunk last night, weren't you? He said, no, honey. She said, well, if you weren't drunk, then who put all the band-aids on the mirror? (laughs) We like to cover it up. We we like to pretend. We, we, We like to justify. I mean, we've been covering up sin since the beginning. The very first sin with Adam and Eve, what do they do when they realize, okay, I've got some shame in my life. I'm naked here. What do they do? They covered themselves up. With fig leaves, we've been hiding and justifying sin, and we will do our best to justify why what I'm doing is just fine. It's okay that I am living with this person and we're not married. You'll justify it. You'll justify why it's okay to keep sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Why do we do this? It's sin. And John's saying, you can't keep sinning and have fellowship with God. You're deceiving yourself. Everybody has sinned. Everybody has missed the mark. So then the question becomes this. What do you do with your sin? Like we're all on the same playing field. What do I do with my sin? What do you do with your sin? Well, we've got two options. The first option that he says is you can deny your sin. You, you can keep living in pretend land and you can deny having Sin. And denial seems to be a real popular way to go about what, what, how we're going to deal with sin in this world. You, you could even dismiss it, right? Like, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that my sin, yeah, I sin, it's not that big of a deal. So we'll just dismiss it. I'm not denying. Yeah, I've got some issues in my life, but it's not really a big deal. So denial is a big one. So this is what he says. We've read this in verse 8. Let's read it again. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And... The truth is not in us. And again, we could just dismiss it and say, eh, not a big deal. Everybody does it. It changed. Culture changed. It's now okay. Then he says, well, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Sin, it just comes naturally to us. I mentioned last week, you don't have to teach a child to be bad. You have to teach them to be good. It is in our nature. We are born with this original sin, this bend, this bent rather, to go away from God and live out of our own flesh and set ourselves up as God and I'm going to do life on my own. I don't need him. Now, here, here's the thing. Before you became a Christian, that was your identity. Original sin is given to all of us when we come into this world. Your identity was sinner. Like that's your title, that's your job. Before you came to Christ, your job was to sin. So, so if you're in the room today and uh, you hear me talking about like don't sin and we need to walk away from it, I'm, I'm not looking at you if you don't know Christ. Because the fact of the matter is you don't have the ability not to sin who you are. You are stuck in that original sin until you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. For all of the people in the room, myself included, that would say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We no longer have to sin. Sinner is not our identity. We have a new heart. We were made a new creation, and now we have been given a new power not to sin. You don't have to sin, fellow believers. Isn't this fantastic? God has forgiven us, and you no longer have to sin. Now, the question is, once we come to Christ, do we still sin? Up north where we used to live in Iowa, we'd say, yeah, you betcha. (laughs) Yeah, we still sin. Yes, we still sin, but we don't have to. We now have the power of the Holy Spirit in us not to walk in that direction to say no and to move in God's direction. We have the power to walk away from that. But many people don't have Christ. And many people continue to deny their sin, whether they have him or not. And again, we try to do everything that we can to justify sin in this world and in our lives. Sin is what everybody else does. And we'll keep watering it down. And the way that we've watered it down throughout the years, we'll just redefine it. Right? It's not a sin, it's a mistake. It's not abortion, it's a choice. It's really not adultery. That's a little strong. It's an affair. I'm not lying, I'm bending the truth. Fornication, well, that's an old word, doesn't even sound good. We're just sleeping together. You're sleeping. It's not sexual perversion. It's an orientation. So we will craft and move things in such a way so that we don't face head on the reality of life. We are sinners in need of a Savior. The result of this denial is self deception. Look at the last part of verse 8 again. We deceive ourselves, we're just pretending. We're living in once upon a time land. We're just going to pretend that I have no sin. You might have sin. I don't have sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And maybe you say, all right, well, big deal. What is the big deal anyway? Well, if you say that you have no sin, you're rejecting Jesus. Just flat out. You're rejecting him. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the great physician. Now, if you have a natural sickness, you're sick in some way, you would go to a doctor. You'd go to somebody who has a cure, and they would help you to get better. You won't go to a physician if you have no need of a physician. Jesus Christ came as the great physician, but if you say you have no sin, you don't need him, and you reject him. It's as if you're saying, Jesus, that was a really dumb move to come to earth. What an idiot to die on a cross because we don't need you. If you deny your need for a physical doctor when you're ill, you'll die. If you deny your need for Christ, you will die in your sins because that is the result of mankind's sin, death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, eternal death. There are consequences to this. And yet we keep trying to craft this life in such a way that we would say, I don't really need a God. I don't need to repent. It's a sickness. What do we do? Well, we could deny it. Secondly, John wants us to get to this point where we deal with it, where we actually... Face it. The alternative to denying sin is to go ahead and deal with it. When we confess our sins, God then releases us of all of the death, all of the punishment, all of the eternal consequences of sin. And the Bible tells us that when we come to Him like that, man, He puts our sin as far as the East is from the West. He buries it in the sea of forgetfulness. I kind of like to picture it like my sin was taken and buried with Jesus Christ and it stayed in that tomb and it didn't come out with Him. And I don't need to run back back to that tomb grab my old life and keep dragging it around with me that old life that is dead and i am now forgiven in him he has promised friends to forgive us. So if you've been sitting here feeling the weight of, ah, I feel like garbage. I have all this weight of sin. friend. you can be forgiven and you can find freedom. Here's how. First John 1, 9. If we confess, own up to, stop denying, and we deal with it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. I'm not faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God. I would say this is a great verse to memorize. Put this one in your heart. Pull it up from time to time when you fail, when you sin, you remember. You realize God's faithful. I'm not faithful. He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive me of my sins. He'll purify me. He'll wash me and cleanse me. And that's his role. That's what he does. Confession, man, it just brings this life into us once again. And we walk in freedom, a freedom where we aren't bound to original sin. We we have this opportunity to walk out holiness in our lives. We have the power now to say no to every single sin that comes our way in a way that we did not before. And that happens through confession. And confession brings freedom. There were some pastors, there were four pastors, and they had gotten together. And uh, one of the pastors said, You know, when our people come to us, they, they confess their sins to us. We should do the same. Confession's good for the soul. And all of them agreed, Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do that. So the first pastor said, Well, I got to confess. I like rock and roll music, which admittedly isn't as bad as country music. The unforgivable sin. Kidding, sort of. So he says, he says, ah, my vice is I like rock and roll music. The next guy says, well, I like to smoke cigars. And then the third pastor said, well, I, I like to play the lottery. And then finally, it came time for the fourth pastor to confess, and he wanted to confess. And all the other pastors said, hey, we confess. What's your vice? And finally, he said, well, mine's gossiping. And I can't wait to get out of here and tell everybody what you guys are doing. Confession's good for our soul. This is a, a good thing. When we, when we come to the Father and we just admit the truth that we already know, I sinned. He cleanses us. He takes the filth, the dirt, the muck, all that weight that we had been feeling, and we bring it to Him in honesty and we say, man, I'm just going to give glory to you. Here's my sin. I know you are just and you are righteous. And I know you will wash me and cleanse me and forgive me. All of that guilt, friend, all of that condemnation that the enemy just wants to tack onto you and you wear it like this big old heavy lead robe everywhere you go. That guilt, that condemnation nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's yours. That's yours. But that doesn't happen in pretend land. It happens in reality. It happens when we move in the direction of our heavenly father who moved in our direction and sent his son so that you might have life and forgiveness, freedom from sin. That's what he gives. This is the good news. That God loves us. And again, you're going to have a tough time dealing with this if you think God's just up there to kind of like squash you like a bug. He is up there to send his son and pour out his love on you, loving you so much that Jesus Christ went to a cross holding all of the debt of the world. You can think of it like a credit card and and all the debt of the world, every sin on that credit card. And Jesus Christ went to the cross holding all of that debt on himself. And whenever somebody moves in his direction and says, that debt's mine, but I accept your payment. He forgives us. Some people don't want to do that. They want to live in their pride. They want to live and pretend that their God don't need a God and they are willing to pay that price themselves and it will be exacted for eternity. Or we can come to Christ and say, I need you. Wash me. Cleanse me. We're to deal with our sin. Not deny it. Not dismiss it. Not hide it. Not cover it up. Face it. Confess it. Deal with it. And when we do, he's faithful and just and he forgives us of our sins. He purifies us from unrighteousness. The penalty of sin has been removed. I know it sounds really weird, but this is the truth. The way to be right is to admit that you're wrong. The way to be right in your life, the way to have righteousness once again in your life is to admit that you're wrong. The way to be right is to admit that you're wrong. And when I was walking away from God and walking in darkness, it was hard for me to admit that I was wrong. I had pride. I wanted to do life on my own, on my own terms. I loved my sin. I didn't want to let go of my sin and I was too prideful to bow my knee before the God of this universe and admit what he already knew, I already knew, and that is I am a sinner who needs a savior. But when we do that, he is faithful and just, and he forgives us. And friend, I would just say very lovingly as a pastor, as a friend, as a fellow human being who's just like a mess and in need of a savior, run from sin. Please, the consequences of sin, the original sin that we have in our lives where we're separated from God, that's an eternal punishment. Other sins that we have, even after we come to Christ and we decide, I'm gonna gonna keep doing my own thing and going in my own direction, there are consequences to that sin. There is a payment for sin, all sin. I remember one of the books that um, my mom would read to my sister and me when we were growing up. Many times when we were traveling in the car was this book called Grandma's Attic. It was written in the 70s. Anybody in here, uh, read Grandma's Attic? Maybe online read Grandma's Attic? Well, oh, thank you, mom. Of course you read it. Um, so if you're online and you read it, you, you'll be in the minority with me. So anyway, Grandma's Attic. It's, it's about this, this, this young girl named Mabel. And Mabel's a young farm girl, and she's telling all these different accounts and these different stories that that had happened. I remember one of the stories, uh, she talked about the year that Mabel and her family got a brand new hand pump outside. And her uncle warned her, do not put your tongue on that hand pump in the winter. Now, if you've watched a Christmas story, you know where this is going, right? So she thinks, well, that's kind of a silly warning. So what does she do that first winter with the hand pump? Yeah, she put her tongue right on that thing. She thought it was a silly warning. And immediately when that happened, she knew the consequences of what she has done. Now, John is saying there is a consequence to sin. Now, unlike Mabel in that moment, sometimes the sin that we have in our lives that we do not deal with, the consequences of it come much later. But there are consequences to sin, sometimes not very obvious, but there is a payoff. So I would just please consider yourself lovingly warned by a heavenly father who loves you. Look, I'm making these boundaries not out of hatred to take your fun away. I'm making it because I love you. Consider yourself warned by myself. Consider yourself warned by John, who says, this is why I've written this book. John 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if... When anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. (laughs) Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. That's a tough word. Propitiation. Your translation may say the atoning sacrifice. He is the appeasement. He is the one who regains favor for us once again with the Father. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Remember, all of the debt of this world placed into his account for whomever would go to him and say, I owe, but I thank you for making the payment for me. I owe. Christ paid. John wants us to walk away from sin. He knows the consequences. He knows the weight. He knows how much it costs Christ to leave heaven. He knows how much he saw him in agony on the cross. He wants us to avoid sin at all costs. But then he realizes that we're not perfect yet. And that when we do sin, he says, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so when I sin or when you sin, And we come before the Father to confess our sins. Jesus is our attorney. Now The Bible tells us that Satan, and Satan is real, that Satan is our adversary. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of Christians. So Satan is always accusing us in our own ears, you're a loser, you're no good, you're going to carry that guilt, you're going to carry that condemnation, you cannot find freedom, you're always going to be this way, you're trapped in your sin, liar. Jesus... He's the one who brings freedom, and he is our attorney. It's as if when we go before the Father, Jesus is standing right there beside us to make the case. And when we confess our sin, Jesus doesn't plead our goodness. He's not saying to the Father, uh, Father Chris here has been pretty good lately. He's done some good deeds. And his sin that he's talking about here is not really that big of a sin. We just look the other way and forgive him. Jesus Jesus doesn't plead not guilty for me. He he doesn't excuse away my sin. What does Jesus plead? He pleads his righteousness. Not my righteousness. I don't have any. He has all of it. Jesus, thank you for being the righteous sacrifice for me. Me, I could never make that payment. And so he steps in. And now when God the Father looks at my sin, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see any kind of filthy rag on me any longer. I have been clothed. You have been clothed with the robe of Jesus Christ. Every time we come before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate for us, for you. Jesus Christ is the person through whom guilt for past sins is forgiven. He is the one through whom power to overcome present sins are forgiven. And you have the opportunity to step out of the darkness and to step into the light of Jesus Christ. And I know for some of you, you're thinking, well, that's a long way to go for me. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Friend, it is only one step off the track, heading in the wrong direction to step into the light and life and truth of Jesus Christ. And all who are willing to come, Jesus says, come, receive me, be washed, be cleansed, be made new. Let's pray. Father, I don't know how in a moment you can change your heart, but you did it for me. And I know you can do it in this moment not just simply with a a prayer, but a, a new realization of who you are and what you have come to do personally for each soul. And so for the soul today that is ready to say, I need an advocate because I am guilty. I pray, Lord Jesus, as you move in their direction, that they would find light and life and truth and love in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross to make payment for our sins. We no longer pretend like it's not there. It is there. It needs to be washed and cleansed. Thank you for making us new, giving us a new identity to be sealed in you now and forever. And then, Lord, for those who are in this moment and just realizing that they've been walking in darkness and there is sin in their life while claiming to know you, Father, we bring these things to your light and truth, and we confess we need to be washed and cleansed, and we thank you that you are just to forgive. You're not looking for us to work this off. You are looking for us to bend our knee and look to the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ, who has been given for us. Thank you, Father, for cleansing us and washing us and making us new. Now, Lord, help us to walk this out, to walk in the truth. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing in our hearts and our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.